Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, China's in the bad books, particularly in the United States, where Donald Trump has made it his life's ambition to stop every telecommunications company from ever using anything made by Huawei. By sheer coincidence, Huawei's revenue is more than double that of the US's Cisco, which is the second biggest provider of telecommunications equipment in the world. So that's $100 billion in revenue that Cisco could be grabbing hold of. But we're also told it's because of human rights abuses, and it's not just Huawei. So what happens if we trade less with China? What would that look like? And should we? And if we ditch China, should we also ditch trading with Saudi Arabia and Russia and Turkey and maybe the United States even? Are we hypocritical trading with China or will we be hypocritical if we don't trade with China? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Well, the world trades with China. Of course, they exported 2.6 trillion US dollars worth of goods in 2018. They ship out finished products by and large, like phones and electronics. They ship in the raw materials like iron ore, oil, uh, gas. Until a year ago, almost 20% of their exports went to the United States. Only 2% went to the UK. But that's still about $60 billion a year going to the UK. Australia, incidentally, imports almost as much, even though it's a much smaller population. But it's the other way that makes Australia vulnerable. More than a third of Australia's exports go to China. Over 70% of Australia's exports are minerals, and more than a quarter of that goes to China. So take China out of the equation, and Australia is stuffed, really. Less than 5% of the UK's exports go to China, so they'd cope. Uh, Exports to Europe after Brexit is going to be a bigger concern for them. For the US, it's more than 8%, $1.4 trillion worth of exports. And some products are particularly vulnerable, like 20% of the $17 billion in soybean trade from the United States goes to China. So uh, there's a lot of interest lying there. Is it too big a relationship for it to collapse totally, Steve? Oh, China's, one thing you've got to take your hat off to over the last 30 years is the success of the Chinese Communist Party uh, in doing capitalism, because they have, mm. uh, when they made the decision under Deng Xiaoping to get rid of the, uh, the Gang of Four, which, for those who don't know, is not a boy band. It was actually the uh, – uh, it was uh, – <laughs> Pretty uh, ugly boy band. Pretty ugly band. Well, a boy band led by a woman who was Mao Zedong's wife um, and uh, a, a very um, Stalinist, um, you know, central-planned, uh, authoritarian approach to the economy. And Deng Xiaoping's policy was to innovate, and, and you didn't care whether it was a black cat or a white cat, as long as it catches mice was the slogan. And under that policy, they uh, the idea was to industrialise as rapidly as possible. And a major part of that was setting up free trade zones, the most important original one being in Guangdong province, uh, the Shenzhen free trade zone. And the idea was to attract American manufacturers with two purposes, behind, or three purposes. One was to provide employment to the local workforce, which of course we're already 100% employed, but in, in state uh, state factories, 
and communes and so on where the, where the pay rates were lousy. So give them employment, bring in Western technology, most importantly, start building the capitalist class in China. And uh, I, I, I was very fortunate to um, be involved with the Australia-China Council back in 81. I, I spoke at a conference in Griffith University where one of the people in the audience was the Jocelyn Che, who was the... Um, who was the chair, the chairperson of the Australia-China Council. And I spoke about the idea of issues-oriented journalism, uh, the idea being that most journalism is reporting, uh, you know, uh, the peasants are revolting. Uh, the peasants have built, burnt down this building. Never asking, why did the peasants burn down the building? And no, of course what, not. What you do is you check out the issues. So, so it, like I said, journalism was event-oriented, not issue-oriented. And one way to make it more issue-oriented would be to look at annual, look at coverage over the long term. So to go and look at newspapers and say, what did we cover uh, in the last few days? And, and, and what the idea was, was to put together a year's worth of coverage of a, of a country, uh, of one, another country overseas via its media, do the same with the other countries. So you have a, a year's worth of coverage, Australian coverage of China, a year's worth of Chinese coverage of Australia, and then break it down to the subject area and see what that looked like compared to and, and long-term journals like the Forest and Economic Review um, and academic journals themselves and see what issues were covered as well. Um, so that was what took me to China back in November, of uh, November December of, uh, of 81. And uh, we ended up going on a, on a three-week tour. We should actually talk about that conference, by the way. Maybe it would be worthwhile thing for people to... to um, mm. You to mentioned it from podcast. time to time on the podcast. Let's get yeah. that, that, a podcast about it later. But anyway, we... We did a tour of China, and this was during the period when Deng Xiaoping was in power. The Gang of Four was actually in, being tried, um, and, the, and the trial was being broadcast live through speakers throughout Beijing uh, as we were walking around the town. Of course, in Chinese, I couldn't, I couldn't understand them, but you non-stop listening to the trial of the Gang of Four. Um, so we went to these various shadow communes all over the country, and one I remember was a furniture manufacturer in Sichuan province, and we, we got to the... Uh, to the province which was manufacturing furniture, you know, basically a Chinese version of IKEA, if you like. And uh, they had this dramatic expansion of production in the factory over the previous year. And we asked them, how did you manage to achieve so many sales? And the answer, and I love this translation, said, we sent out propagandists. <laughs> <laughs> I think marketing is the term these days. But <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, marketing. Okay. Okay, so where did the propagandists go to sell? And they, they ended up going to, a, to a, they were selling 90% of their output to a state factory in, 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 um, in Shanghai. So they were, they were basically making orders for this damn thing for a commune, making orders for a state factory. And I was looking at this, and this is all going to fall over in a heap. It's not going to work. We finally get down to, um, to, to Guangdong province, go to the Shenzhen Free Trade Zone, and we got the most professional production of, of, of um, you know, uh, public relations um, show that I'd seen in China the whole time we'd been there. And the guy who was in charge would, would said, I'm going to introduce you to our main manager. Here's the guy's mainly involved in planning the whole uh, venue, so I'll hand it over to him. And he then explained that there was some loophole, and I forgot what number it was, some some uh, element of the American uh, trade wall, which enabled a, com a company not to pay uh, import duty on goods that had been shipped overseas and, and from America to another country, third world country. And had value added. And yeah. had, and the chip, yeah. had, work, had work done there and then mm. ship it back. 
And so they were going to exploit that particular loophole so that we, you, an American company could do this and pay no tariffs. Back in the days when tariffs were 10 times as high as they are now, yeah. you know, 30% rather than 3%. So they'd evade that tariff and then they'd be able to take advantage of low-wage uh, Chinese workers. At the time, Chinese mm. workers, I don't know the exact figures, but they would have been paid as much a month as American workers were paid for a, for a day or for, a, for a, certainly for a week. So low wages and get a huge increase in their profit margin. But there was a condition that came with, and that is that they had to have a, foreign, a Chinese partner. And within five years, the Chinese partner had to own 50% of the yeah, business. Yeah. Now, so this is where all the knowledge transfer that. happens, isn't it? Which is why... Well, just why, the, 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 why, yeah, why China's yeah. been so successful? Well, yeah, well, but twofold. It, not just knowledge, but money as well. Because yeah, yeah, you know, you own half a business that is making those sorts of profits, and you're a local Chinese, and you would normally you would have been a Communist Party member. You may have been a local industrialist, but more likely, you're a Communist Party member. So you suddenly turn from a communist to a capitalist. Uh, it's huge cash flow coming in. That's part where the wealth comes from. But the the third point you pointed, which I've been long winded on the monetary one, technology. Mm. And, and, they, and this, they wanted American technology as fast as possible. And damn well, they, they got it and they then pull it apart and, and then be able to reproduce it themselves. Now, back to my first question, whether you know, the relationship is, is too big to collapse because we have now, they are you know, a, a, a massive trading partner for the whole of the world. And some countries like Australia particularly are very exposed to them as a, as a trading partner. The UK, perhaps a little less so. But look, you know, we've they've been all over the news because of this new national security law in Hong Kong. But that's the yeah. that is the tip of the iceberg. Incidentally, uh, we could be if, if we say something bad about China in this podcast, we could be susceptible to that new national security law as well. So you could be travelling through Hong Kong and you could be arrested. That's my understanding of it. It doesn't just apply to people. I, in- I don't think I don't think it applies. Does it apply to foreigners mm. are making negative comments? It might be about to Chinese nationals overseas. I'm not sure. I'm I'd not heard sure. that maybe that's draconian. There's no two ways about. That Either way, it's draconian, absolutely. And then, of course, mind we've got- you, mind you, let's not forget there's a certain American law doing exactly the same thing because there's an Australian citizen called Julian Assange yeah. in a British jail for breaking an American law. That is outrageous. That okay? is outrageous. So it, yeah. it's, it's the same deal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If we're going to get the Chinese, then we bloody well get the Americans over Julian Assange. <laughs> okay, we'll do another. Are we hypocritical trading with uh, the hypocritical US as well as China? Bloody oath. Jesus <laughs> Christ. There's, 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 a, there's an academy of award for, for hypocrisy, right. America wins it. Yeah, although the US doesn't have internment camps for, for Muslims in, like they do in the Xinjiang. Well, they've got Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, okay. Guantanamo okay. Bay, so let's not get them get away Yeah, that's so, really true, yeah. maybe, as well. The government's describing those uh, those in Xinjiang as uh, vocational training centres, which makes them sound... Uh, uh, and but people protesting for human rights strangely disappeared in China. Twitter is banned. Not necessarily a bad thing. It means... Uh, uh, imagine if they did that in the United States. What would Donald Trump do? Uh, and, and But, you know, the, the Communist Party pretty much has got control of the legal system as well. Donald Trump is trying to get control of that. He hasn't quite got that yet. But we still all trade with China. I take your point about the United States as well. So we, um, But I'm just wondering whether they're at the stage now where they're trying to push that little bit further because they know there's not a lot we can do about it. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they certainly, I mean, they're certainly flexing their muscles dramatically. Because, I mean, well, by the way, I just saw an amazing detail. Um, George Orwell's father worked in a particular division of the British government 
what division do you think it was? Right, something to do with communications, propaganda? It involves China. Oh, okay. It's a particular war of China. Right. It okay. was in the opium department of the oh. British government. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, for people who don't know this particular detail, the opium wars were fought by Britain and the other colonial powers to maintain the right to export opium to China because there was nothing they could beg themselves from manufacturing that China actually wanted to import in return for all the goods China was exporting at the time, all the porcelains and so on. So the British fought for the right to sell opium to China when China was trying to ban opium for the damage it was doing to the health of their own people. So, I mean, pardon me getting a bit uh, vociferous here, but the hollow doing moralistic about China, honestly, what we've done to China over the last two centuries, the West is in no position yeah. to be claiming moral yeah, yeah. superiority. Well, I, but that was then. This is now. I mean, we can't always. Oh, yeah. Let's forget the past. That's well, a great idea. Well, could go on, but you could go on forever. I mean, you know, uh, there no, has it, been it, immense in hypocrisy. In other words, moral. Moral arguments are used for hypocritical reasons. So there. And if you want to hear this podcast in full, then you need to become a supporter of Steve Keen. Go to debunkingeconomics.com and sign up uh, there. Or become a supporter on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash Prof Steve Keen to get access to this podcast in full and all the other ones in this series. Otherwise, we'll see you back here for the shortened version of the next one. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. See you next week. Thanks for listening. 